is Brian Bellick. I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Here we go. Well, Denny, things are getting very, very interesting in the AFC East. We got every single team at 3-3. Three and three. In the <laughs> NFC East, you know, the Cowboys, even though uh, they had a tough loss to, to, to Baltimore, the Giants are atop it, but everybody's within striking distance. In the NFC West, You've got uh, two teams at uh, four and two, and, and uh, another at three and three. So all hanging right there. So, you know, parity in the National Football League, and the fact that everything's within striking decent di- distance. I can't imagine the league would want any other way. <laughs> well, that's why I chuckled. You know, that's what the league wanted. That's where they designed it. You know, that's where it, it comes into play. And I think for the uh, the AFC East, for no matter what happens with the Jets, no matter how bad we think they're doing. They're tied for first place, and they're tied for first place with New England, who we always have the impression is doing everything right, and the Jets are doing everything wrong, and they're both sitting three and three. And then you go to the West Coast, and we say, hey, I mean, the 49ers are the best team in football, but they're four and two, and they lost a game at home yesterday to the New York Giants. And then we also say Seattle really can't be that good, can they? And they're also four and two. So I think six games in into the National Football League, you know, nothing's clear. As they say, it's clear as mud. It, yeah. Nothing's very clear at all. It strikes. We knew this when we were coaching, but it's even more apparent now that we're doing this and the amount of time I spend around other clubs and in other cities and doing games and, and following it. Just from week to week, I mean, a week ago, the Jets are done. They stink. They can't get out of their own way. This thing ought to be blown up. They come home and play – a young, still developing Indianapolis team made him look like a, uh, 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 Andrew Luck looked like a rookie quarterback, uh, and and now they're three and three and on top of the world yeah, and, in one week. Well, yeah, well, and also you know, uh, our our uh, Griffith the third uh, isn't very smart quarterback because he right. didn't get out of bounds right. and and is uh, Shanahan using him right way because he's holding the ball too much. Then they go up against a very good Minnesota Vikings team, which is supposed to be great on defense. And he not only has two touchdowns, but he rushes for two and goes for over 130 yards. And so nothing is permanent in the National Football League. Everything is kind of fluid, uh, up and down. And and I think that that's where the excitement starts because now that we're in, you know, game six, we're more than one-third of the way. I mean, you know, we've, we've got uh, the second half, uh, about two more games before we are eight games in, and what's going to happen in the second half of the season. The, my favorite time of the season is getting close when all the buys are in. You know, I hate it when there are all these right, buys. So right, right. We've so got a few compare? more. six buys this week. So we've got a few more weeks when everybody be up to snuff. I assume it's when at eight games in. And then, you know, here it goes. Well, we'll, we'll do that. when Once we get past everybody uh, – gets past their buys and has the equal number of games we'll uh we'll kind of read not that it's in a power ranking form but we'll reshuffle this and say it's kind of like the bcs okay let's now let's just dump whatever happened before and the fact that okay this team beat that team that week and therefore they're a better team no we're going to look at it in composite we'll say okay let's we'll create our own little ranking as to who we think is good and who's not clearly and we've said this many many times and and I, i know i wear people out with it I think winning on the road in the NFL is the hardest thing to do in all professional sports. There's only 16 games. You've got to play half of them on the road. The emotion of it. Home teams are 9-4 and four this week. And uh, we talk about the Lions. Big, big win for them. They're 1-7. Right. Uh, with that win against Philly. So it is hard. That's why I carry – you look at the New York game. You brought it up, San Francisco. 
that that was so impressive, if for no other reason, because it was on the road. Yeah, I mean, to go on the road and, and win like that, and, and I think the Detroit, who had not been playing well now, they, they're they 3-3. and three. You'd think they were 1-4 and four at the time, but they really weren't. They were 2-3 and three and won a game at Philly who, when they win, they look like they're unbeatable. When they lose, they look very average. When they win, they look like they're an efficient machine on offense. When they lose, they look like they, like they can't do anything on offense and make nothing but mistakes. Will we play more or go home? For two, Romo's under center. Slot on the right. Back to throw, looking left, throwing left, caught. No, dropped out of the arms of Bryant. Let's break a couple of these down uh, and and talk about what it means for these teams. I I was fortunate enough to do that Dallas-Baltimore game. It was a heck of a game. And you had to be impressed with Dallas, again, coming on the road, playing as well as they did. Uh, Baltimore, it's interesting. It's a real sea change for Baltimore because the offense is that strength now. It's unbelievable, you know, that, that and, and wisely so by John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom recrafting that team. Uh, we'll talk in a minute about the potential uh, injuries to Ray Ray Lewis, and obviously they've lost Ladarius Webb. They may lose Haloti Nada for a little bit. They're not as good defensive. They're good. They're not as good. But let's let's talk about that game. There were a couple things going on, and let's talk about the end of the game, the time management of Jason Garrett. For those that need to be caught up with it, Dallas ran the ball so well the whole game, uncharacteristic against uh, uh, Baltimore. Um, Baltimore, the, in the first, in the second half, there was at one point we went into the fourth quarter, Baltimore had run six plays. Um, part of it was because they had a 108-yard kickoff return. Right. Which, okay, that, that counts too. But uh, – Dallas just ran the ball down their throat and held on to the ball. Classic formula for on the road. Um, then Baltimore goes the length of the field uh, to, to get the lead. Dallas comes back, drives the length of the field, runs the ball really well, goes for two and does not get it. So now they're down by one. Go for the onside kick, and they get it. They've got 40 seconds on the clock. They end up running one play. Right. Mismanaging the clock. Um, let, let's talk about that process, and let's talk about the mistakes that Jason Garrett and Tony Romo made. Well, I think the one thing, I mean, they were so fortunate to get the kick back. It went right through Brandon Amadeo's uh, yes. hands, who was one of your former players. Um, you, 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 uh, with the ball at 40 seconds, they do, did a quick throw to Des Bryant, and it looked like whether the spot was the first down or not, they did, in fact, give him a first down. Uh, you know, you have to have kind of a magic word. Whatever it is that says we don't huddle, we get to the line right away. You know, you can say hurry, you can say Toledo, you can say whatever you want to say. But it's clear that Dallas didn't have that magic word because they were waiting around to see what they were going to do. And we also can keep in mind that the coach can call timeout from the sideline. So with that amount of time on the clock, I think it was 26 seconds or something, um, you know, they kind of let it run down a little bit, and then they had to take the timeout. So what you would think in that situation, you get three plays called because you'd clock one of them, so you'd have right. a play, you clock it, you run another play, you call the timeout, you run another play, you get the ball out of bounds, you kick a field goal, you win the ball game. Uh, that didn't take place. So I think it was clearly a, a case where they would look back and say, boy, we missed an opportunity because we were not uh, specific enough. We were not demanding enough on what we expected our team to do. In other words, everybody's got to really hustle. You see, it, these teams are good at it. It, they're a marvel to watch because they know that, hey, you've got to be hustling. You can't be fussing. You want that ball spotted. When the ball spotted, you're there. Boom, you can kill it by clocking it into the ground. Now the clock is stopped. You can get a play run. They still had a timeout. So they had all those things at right. their at their 
uh, at in front of them on the table, and they didn't use any of them. The first play was uh, I misspoke. They had two plays. They had one play that was they were back on their own forty six, and they got the pass interference, and it was pass interference. It was I, an arm yeah, bar. Yeah. Put it first and ten on the Baltimore thirty four. So you're within reasonable field goal shape. You had a timeout in your back pocket, plus you had the down. As right. you said, you can. There's a lot of scenarios there. You can use the timeout after the first down play. You can dirt it and hold the timeout in your back pocket if you want to. They threw a pass to Des Bryant, uh, which was a first down. It was on the 34-yard line. So now they're going into the to the second down play. There's a lot of different things to do. Listening to Jason Garrett, it sounds like he and Tony maybe had discussed, but the rest of the team didn't know what they were doing because they were so casual about the way they got back right. to it, whether you wanted to clock it, run another play, whatever you wanted to do, you needed to have that sense of urgency. And when it didn't happen – Tony Romo or Jason Garrett should have seen it's not happening. Use the timeout, even if that wasn't your original plan. And you had plenty of time then to, okay, I'm going to burn my timeout. But the down and distance lets me go ahead. I can run the ball even still if I want to get a few more yards because I have time to kill it. Right. Or you, or you can make a throw along the sidelines. You can make a throw out of bounds to get, I mean, to the outside to go out of bounds. But, you know, I just think that the, 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 the key words you have to have, they did not seem to have it. And so, therefore, no one took charge of it, and they and then they missed a field goal, which we've all been in those scenarios. But it's a field goal from any distance, whether it be thirty-eight yards or fifty-one yards, is not a gimme. And you should only kick a field goal when you have to. You can get in position to kick it, and you say, "Okay, we're going to kick it, get in position, give the guy as much yard as we can, put it where you want to put it, make sure the clock is stopped, and then kick that field goal." Let's compare that to. I'm going to go to the Atlanta game. Uh, against Oakland, which was a surprisingly close game, and we can even talk about that at some point. But let's contrast that to to Matt Ryan, Mike Smith, who've done, had a few of these now. They had the same 40 seconds, all right? They're backed up on their 20. Let's remember that, that Dallas got the ball on their own 46. The penalty put it down to the 34, so they had a, a advantageous scenario with a timeout in their back pocket. Atlanta had that same one timeout. They start the ball on their, 20, their own 20-yard line. They ran six plays. Same amount of time, okay? Same one timeout. They ended up utilizing the timeout. They ended up with a first and 10 on the 50. Ryan uh, uh, hit Gonzalez for 13 yards, used the timeout, and then let uh, uh, Bryant come in and kick the 55-yarder. But there, there's an example of two teams, one orchestrating, being right. able to get six plays run in the same amount of time by way of getting the ball, guys catch it, go out of bounds, dirting it, uh, then utilizing you one timeout versus the Cowboys that that could barely get two plays off, and one was a penalty in that same period of time. Well, I think it's also Atlanta shows us the new game. I mean, at one time that wasn't wasn't the way the game was played, but it is the way the game is played now. Uh, it's tied into six quarterbacks yesterday that all threw for over 300 yards. I mean, I think the yardage that guys pile up through on the football now is kind of amazing. Uh, interestingly, all six of those quarterbacks that had over 300 yards, they lost. Uh, and so, I mean, but you can move the ball. You can get chunks of yardage. Uh, that's what Atlanta did. They got in position. They also made the field goal. So there were two contrasts during games. Let's, I want to change gears a little bit. The other thing, and, and part of the, the, the play of Dallas and, and uh, Des Bryant, extremely talented wide receiver, all but, but temperamental and has had some issues on and off the field. 24th pick of the draft, so you have certain expectations when you take a guy that high. He had a brilliant day at 13 receptions for 95 yards. Uh, and when they had to go to crunch town, they went to him twice for touchdowns, uh, went to him for the two point and he dropped the ball. It was a very, it was a beautifully thrown pass. It was drop ball. Uh, and okay, that can happen in whether, you know, what needs to happen with Des Bryant, but let's talk about 
he got star tuned with the officials, okay, and then and then part of the problem with the clock management was when the team needed to hustle up and get set to let Tony Romo do whatever he wanted. Uh, Bryant was still chewing on the official because he thought it's held on the previous play then as well. This guy is a young, immature, emotional young man that has tremendous upside, but they're they're not getting there yet. In critical times, it's costing them. Let's talk about as a coach what you can do to handle and develop a guy like that. Well, he was a steal at that pick. I mean, he really is a top 10 player. He was an absolute phenomenal uh, player because he is so big. He is so strong. I, I think first, you know, you have to convince him to have confidence in his hands. He, he missed that two-point play because he tried to catch it in his arms, and it, it bounced off his arms. Your hands are the best way to catch it. You know, that I know in the meetings before you were talking about this need for, for somebody else to help you. I mean, the head coach can't do it by himself. You want the coordinator to be able to have some input. You want the, the receiver coach to have some input. You want some key guys in your team to have some input. But, you know, you, you a player that's talented has to help the team win. He has to be able to go out and play his very best. And sometimes you need old veterans to be able to, right. to explain it. Well, and you got to have some tough love in just the personalities and looking at it and knowing some of the principles involved. Jason Garrett, who I think is a good coach, good good man, played in the league, so there's a natural respect there from the players. Very soft-spoken and, and always very supportive and, and is a soft voice, so to speak, in terms of like we are with our kids sometimes. Right. We nurture them. Jimmy Robinson's their, running, their receiver coach. Been in this a long, long time. Again, a very nurturing personality. Tony Romo, very, very much a guy that, you know what, I'm not going to embarrass these guys publicly. I'm not going to, you know, some people have talked about, how, how calm he has been. Des Bryant betrayed him on that first interception in Chicago two weeks ago. So he's got all these guys around nurturing him. And I don't mean to sound negative on this. You, sometimes you need some tough love. Sometimes you need that kind of quarterback or that veteran to come in and say, look, son, this is how it's going to be, okay? Right. And you got to quit whining. you got to quit being a baby. We need for you to be good. Sometimes they need that tough love. I don't know if he's getting the tough love. Well, you know, you have to take the ego out of it. It's not about you catching the ball. It's not about you getting the first down. It's about you just playing football and doing whatever you can do to help the team win. If you get an opportunity to catch it, you got to catch it. It's not how many touches you get. It's none of those things. So, uh, you know, he's talented. I mean, he, he is, uh, you know, I mean, he, when he's on, he is phenomenal. He had a very good game yesterday. He did a lot of things. Well, he didn't get as much yardage after the catch as right, I A lot of it was get, underneath. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter now. They've got to make up their mind that we, we have to have everybody rowing in the boat here, and it's going to be crucial. They are now being challenged at, with their record. Um, let's, I, want to, I want to stay on one side. I want to say with this game just briefly because I want to talk about Baltimore a little bit and just about the change that's going on there. The injuries that came out of it, Ladarius Webb, their starting corner, went down. His knee crumpled, and he's got an ACL surgery. Don't know, haven't heard the final word as of this podcast, what Ray Lewis is. It sounds like he has torn the tricep off the bone, and you hate to see that happen, obviously, particularly at a 37-year-old Ray Lewis. What does this mean going right. forward? Um, Haloti Nada may be out for a week or so because uh, of a hamstring inside. Uh, it's a, this is a sea change for Baltimore because they're an offensive team now. A lot of people in Baltimore have a tough time recognizing that. But with Joe, uh, uh, Joe Flacco, uh, with Ray Rice, with the receiving core they have, they've committed to the no huddle. They're orchestrated very, very well, even though they didn't have as much opportunity in the game. Um, it's, it's a, let's talk about how a team, how that, that major a team has to have this major shift in mentality that they're just not defensively 
what they used to be. Well, it's amazing to do it and not be sitting three and two right now. Right. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. their their ability to make the adjustment and then call the game accordingly. If you're relying on a defense, and that's the way it was when Joe Flacco first got there, it was like, hey, manage this thing. Don't make any mistakes. We'll take care of it. If you do throw an interception, we'll get it back. That was their mentality. Uh, I think first it came, though, with, with Ray Rice. I mean, I, I know Flacco's been there a while, but it's, it's Ray Rice's ability to really be a phenomenal runner, a guy that can catch the ball, that can bail you out of a lot of issues. I think that was huge. They got Anquan Bolden. They went with a receiver. He went there because he thought they were going to be an improved passing team. He would have never showed up if he thought they were still sold strictly right. as a defensive team. And then and then Joe Flacco has matured and become a pretty good quarterback. So now they are a team that is, you know, what they want. They've made the transition. Now, part of that transition is because as your defenders get older, you don't get rid of them, unfortunately, I mean, or fortunately, uh, but they're not going to play as well. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so, you know, uh, Baltimore is playing good football, but they're not playing quite as well because they're not quite as young, not quite as spry, and all of a sudden it shows up. So the transition that they've made, a lot of teams can't make that transition and still win. It's like turning the thing around, turning your offense around while you're winning, uh, recognizing your defense is falling off a little bit while you're winning. It's very difficult to do that. I, I give John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom a great deal of credit of looking forward and recognizing at some point Ray Lewis and Ed Reed are going to be done. I mean, that's just time catches up right. with everybody. And you just can't say, well, we'll just go get a couple more of those and still be dominant defensively. So their days of being dominant defensively are past, and they recognized in today's NFL they've put their resources on the offensive side of the ball, they got him a quarterback. That's step number one. And like you said, all those things they've added to it. Ray Rice in the second round when I got him Pitta, spent the free agency money on Anquan Bolden. They drafted Assimile, or Mike Lohr at the left tackle. They got Kalichi Assimile, uh, in uh, last year uh, in, this, in the offensive line they're reshaping. So uh, it's just an interesting sea change to me, having you know obviously been intimately involved and in knowing what Baltimore's about. Brady out of the shotgun, takes a snap. On fourth and 13, steps up in the pocket, trips. Fires, ball is caught by Rocket Short on the first down, and the Seahawks are going to beat the New England Patriots here at CenturyLink Field on another improbable, spectacular finish. Let's go to another uh, coaching decision, some things that happened in New England versus Seattle. Huge win for Seattle. We'll talk about them as a team here in a second uh, uh, and, and how they're playing. I mean, we got... Seattle sitting here at four and two. People say, "Are they legitimate?" Well, you've you've always said you are what your record <laughs> says you are, and you're four and two. You know, and you got a great Thursday night game with them. Uh, uh, San Francisco going down in San Francisco. We're going to find out which is the more legitimate four and two. But a co- couple coaching decisions in the game that we need to talk to uh, talk about because that's what we do on this show. At the end of the half, Tom Brady had him in position. Uh, uh, there was forty seconds left on the clock. Drove him down to about the three yard line, and. Uh, had less than 10 seconds on the clock. And we've, we've talked about this many times. How much time do you have on the clock without a timeout before you need to send your field goal in? They were at something like six or seven seconds. And if the Tom Brady, you got to figure, you know, I trust it. Uh, he's going to get the ball out of his hands quickly, take one shot to the end zone, not enough to gobble up the talk, uh, clock, and I can still run my field goal team on because it's got to be an incompletion or a touchdown. Those are the only choices. Um, he ends up having to throw the ball away in a dramatic way that brings about the 10-second run- runoff, and they didn't even get the field goal. 
Yep. Throwing the ball away, meaning he got penalized for throwing the ball away. So right. he had intentional grounding, and then with the 10-second runoff. Now, I think, he, first off, he was fortunate that there was one second left. Six seconds, that's really tight. I mean, yeah. to think that you can run a play in six seconds, I mean, it's got to be gone out of his hands real quickly. Uh, it can't be any hesitation. You can't hold the ball at all. Uh, but then, number two, you know, you've got to make sure that uh, that you get that clock stopped. And so they did not get the three points. Now, they lost in a very close ball game. So that's one where you're kicking yourself in the butt because you feel like, hey, we had an opportunity to score before half. And anytime you have a chance to score, you want to score. And they would have wanted that field goal in, under any circumstances, and they didn't get a chance to kick it. Now, that, those, that doesn't happen very often, particularly to a Bill Belichick team. But I think it was that idea that we can get one more play. And I, I guarantee they thought about it. Do we kick now with six seconds, or can we run one more play? Well, you got a veteran quarterback in Tom Brady. We think we can do it, but Tom knows he's got to do a fade. Well, he didn't try for the fade. He tried something over the middle. It wasn't there. He threw it away. They got caught on. So they, they kind of outsmarted themselves on that one play. Yeah, let's go back to the previous conversation about clock management with, with Dallas. It obviously didn't turn out well, but you talk about, and you're right, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are probably as good at situational football as there is in the league they got four plays off within 19 seconds now obviously the last one wasn't handled properly and left themselves vulnerable we go back to the dallas scenario where they had 32 seconds and couldn't get what one playoff right. here's a well orchestrated they got four shots off right. in that period of time uh, uh rather than bring it down it actually you could make a case to say that it had been better off to just follow the Dallas, Dallas route and say, no, let's don't take a chance. Now, this was the end of the half, not right. the end of the game. Right. And let's bring it down to four seconds, call timeout, and right. get the field goal, and they would have come away with three points. Uh, but it shows you that that, that time frame can be orchestrated right. uh, with the right, right play calling in that regard. The other one was at the end of the game. And, I, again, no one any better than that situational football than, than uh, Bill Belichick. But you could tell the look on his face when – Russell Wilson was able to get that 46-yard touchdown to Sidney Rice to beat them. And you could tell him, how the heck do we let someone get behind us when it was going to take a touchdown to beat us in that situation? Yeah, because that's when you tell your safeties, you've got to be deeper than the deepest receiver. You look on the inside out. You don't get caught up on the inside receiver. You look to the inside out and then back to the middle. A guy on the outside is your biggest threat because he can get behind you. The guy on the inside is not as big a threat because you have visual on him all the time. And you make sure as long as somebody's pushing down the field that you have to stay in your back pedal and stay deep. And that's, you know, pretty pretty much the way you teach it, except that's not what happened. The safety seemed to level off a little bit. He got in behind him. I'm not quite sure if he didn't see him or just didn't recognize that his running full speed when you go with the, what we call a big eight route, going full speed, you can build up a lot of speed. If the timing is a time throw, and it did, Russell let it go, and he throws a beautiful pass, Russell Wilson, then they wind up getting behind him. Yeah, I mean, and, and as a coach, what you've got to do now, and I know they had young safeties in the game, but you know what? I don't care if you're in college or in high school, whatever. You've got to know the situation. You're closing in under two minutes. You're up. It's going to take a touchdown to beat you, not a field goal. Okay. <laughs> And, and you got to ask, and you and you got to use it as a teaching, as painful as it is, a teaching moment to say, what did I do wrong to make – what did we do in our teaching sequence that possibly could have made you think that you didn't need to be 
you know, backed up. You're in Seattle. You should have backed up to Redmond. <laughs> I mean, how do you let anybody get behind you? What is it you don't understand about this defense that says you've got to keep anything that it done, anything, any reception, any run, anything underneath you is acceptable, but not getting someone in behind you? Well, let's uh, – and obviously that's uh, – let's, let's go on to some other games that brought about some decisions. This is one I want to talk about um, in that uh, Balt or in that uh, Buffalo and uh, Arizona game because we've made these decisions many, many times and it ended up being the right decision. But a little controversial in the sense that uh, Chan Gailey, this was a tough game down on the road in Arizona. So, again, right. you got to give him some credit for having done this. But at the end of the game, it goes to overtime, and obviously we know the struggles that, uh, that Buffalo and Arizona has had. But Chan Gailey made a, a, a decision in overtime that clearly could have come back and, and cost them. They got down to where uh, they, they – Starting the overtime, obviously with the new rules where both teams get a possession of the right. ball. They got down to the 40-yard line, and uh, it was a fourth and 15. Uh, and uh, actually, they had a third and 10. Fitzgerald throws an incompletion. It's a fourth and 10. Uh, uh, there's a false start, so it backs up to a fourth and 15. They end up punting the ball uh, down, and they're, they're backed up initially on the 35-yard line, and they bypassed a field goal. On the 35-yard line. Now, right. if you don't you know, believe in your field goal kicker, that's one thing. <laughs> but you're in a dome. You're in Arizona. Uh, and they end up punting the ball. Now, they did a nice job. Got the ball down. Arizona had to start on the 20. They ended up going a couple plays, turning over. So the philosophy worked. But let's talk about that decision you make as a coach as to, I mean, that situation. When do I go for the field goal or right. when do I opt to play defense? Well, there are hardly any fourth and 15 plays. Right. We know that. So you're pretty much going to have to either kick a field goal or punt it. You know if you don't make the field goal, then you're giving them pretty good field position. And so I think that's what Buffalo decided to do, that, hey, we got to put it. Now, they didn't expect the ball to be on the 20. They thought they would probably get him inside the right. five-yard line, coffin kick, and, and the ball actually came out to the 20. So they didn't execute it as well. There's just that theory that, I mean, do you really want to give the ball up? I mean, is that what you want to do? Do you want to give the ball up? The uh, Cardinals had won a lot of games in overtime. They won, I think, two in overtime this year. So it worked out for Buffalo because they wound up getting an interception. They had field position. They kicked the field goal, and they pulled an upset over a, an Arizona team that had been 4-1. and one. But it still was a risky move yeah. on their part, particularly when they didn't get them down inside the five-yard line like they wanted to right. on the punt. Has Arizona moved the length of the field to get into field goal position? Then obviously Chan Gailey, it's the typical scenario we always talk about. If it works, you're right. If it doesn't, you're wrong. Yeah. And he had been lambasted for that decision had they um, indeed been able to move the ball down the field and, and score. 45-yard field goal attempt for 42-year-old Jason Hansen to win it from the far hash mark. Muehlbach is the snapper. The snap is good. The hold is good. The kick is on its way. End over end. And the Detroit Lions have won it in overtime by a final score of 26-23. to 23. We got to talk about only because it just continues to drop up the Detroit Philadelphia game. The the it continues to plague Philadelphia. This up and down. They're at home, but this up and down play. The Michael Vick, the turnovers, and it continues to be the question of the lack of Lashawn McCoy in the game plans 
or the allow of lack of touches that he has compared to the vulnerability and the issues that Michael Vick is having with turnovers and fumbles. Well, the thing I, I just think McCoy should have more carries. I mean, I know it's touches and and it, and you know you can throw it to him on a wide player and and a lot of things, but that still involves Michael Vick having to make a decision. Michael Vick having to execute. I just think they need to run the ball more from the line of scrimmage. This is the second time I think uh, maybe third time all three losses they had a lead, so they had the lead, uh, but they could not control the ball. When you can't control the ball running it, then that means you don't control the clock. If you have an incomplete pass on first down, that stops the clock. If you run the ball on second down, that gets the clock running. If you have an incomplete on third down, that stops the clock and you're punting. And that's what happened. So at a very crucial time when they were winning by 10 points, they had a three and out. And I think that was hard on the fans because they wanted them to run the ball. They wanted them to get a first down. They wanted them to use up more time on the clock, what we call green, you know, just using it and using that that surface of the field, running the football. And Philadelphia has not been good at that. So as a result, they have lost two games that they had somewhat secured, securely put away in the score because they didn't run him enough. Now, when he's carried the ball over 20 times, they've won also. That's the other thing. They've won three games. He's carried the ball over 20 times in all three games he lost. They've lost three games. He's carried the ball as far as rushing from the line of scrimmage less than 20 times. Yeah, and, and what people will come down to is that series uh, in the fourth quarter when uh, they're backed up on their 12, and it's 3.30 on the clock. And, uh, and it's not like De- Detroit had been up and down the field offensively and done a lot. And it was a pass, which is an incompletion. Okay. And stopped the clock. Stops the clock. Uh, uh, no, I take that back. The first one was completed. So uh, it's second and four. They run the ball, don't get anything. Third and four, they throw the ball, it's incomplete, and stops the clock. So now you're buying them some additional time. And now Detroit gets the ball back. When they get it back, it's 227, which means they now have the two-minute warning on their side as an additional timeout. Right. to where you might have had you run the ball on third down, you might have been able to pull that clock down a little bit, put it under two minutes, and now maybe uh, – uh, which ostensibly works as a timeout. So that's where some of the criticisms come from. And, and uh, you know, you make those tough decisions. I agree, though, that Philadelphia – it's one thing to say you need to run the ball more. It's just like there's a total lack of faith in the ability to run the ball. And you don't have the mentality to run even when you really need to. Well, they're a classic West Coast offense, as we know. I mean, and so they do like it. They feel that a swing pass uh, behind the line of scrimmage is just like a run. Throw it to him. He can have a high completion percentage. A guy can catch it and run, stay in bounds. So that's, that is their sweet play, but it, it hasn't been working for him consistently enough. They can beat anybody in the league, and they can lose anybody in the league. They've proven that this year. Uh, we, we talked about the scenarios in, in uh, Oakland and Atlanta um, in terms of the way Matt Ryan was able to bring them back. Let's talk about uh, the Oakland Raiders. And, and, and they, it was a good showing for them on the road in Atlanta. But at the end of the day, here again, Matt Ryan, uh, unbelievably, inside of 40 seconds, takes them the length of field to get the win. They did not play particularly well, but they are the last standing 6-0 and team. Let's talk about how legitimate Atlanta is. Well, Atlanta had three interceptions, so that's very unusual. Matt Ryan had three interceptions in the first half, so that's unusual. So a lot of times that just comes from just not really, how can you take the Raiders as serious as they should? You're at home. You're playing well. Everybody's telling you how great you are. The Raiders are not going to come in and beat you. All of a sudden you get off to a very poor start, and that's exactly what Atlanta did. But Atlanta does have all the pieces. I mean, you know, they've got a veteran tight end like Gonzalez to get the ball 
from a big, strong quarterback like Matt Ryan who's coming on, and they've got the running game to go along with it. So they're impressed. They're playing very good defense. It was just one of those things where you're going to have, if they wind up going 15-1, and they're going to be about three or four games like this, like this particular game, where it's going to be very difficult for them to go in and play their best game. Then the question is going to be, how can they win along the way? I mean, with Tampa Bay, you know, and and uh, and Carolina, New Orleans in their division, they're running away with the division. I mean, that's not, that's not even going to be close. The question is, is how good a record can they get, and can they maintain or, or secure and maintain home field advantage throughout the playoffs? At the end of that game as well, Oakland. Some people uh, talking about Oakland, who went the length of the field. They were down thirteen to twenty. Got the ball down to the five-yard line. Uh, big play down the field that took it from the 43 down to the five. Ran two plays uh, and got it into the end zone. And they were saying, well, you left Atlanta too much time. <laughs> you know, you left them 40 seconds on the clock. And I think people need to stop and realize, look, you're just trying to score. And and when you're down there, if you score on first down, great, score on first down. You can't, well, I'll, I'll call a play that can't score on first, second, and then I'll score on third to draw some more <laughs> clock down. When you're down by a touchdown, it just doesn't work that way. No. When, when you're up by a field goal, when you need a field goal, it does work that way. You can manipulate the clock if you're lucky. If you don't have to scramble to get the first down, you can run it down. I mean, we all know that, and you make a decision how you want to do it. But the touchdown, you got to take it when you get it, and, and uh, there's no doubt about that. You you want it to be with not a lot of time left on the clock, but you want the touchdown. There, You can't have a field goal, so you're literally in four-down territory in some ways. Uh, but they, they scored fairly early, and, and it did give Matt Ryan a chance to be very impressive, and in this day and age, a guy can take it and move it the distance. Yeah, Atlanta is for real. There's no question about it, and, and there will be those that want to pick it apart a little bit. Uh, you know, you've got to give Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov so much credit for it. We've got to remember how bad Atlanta was now when they took over in 2008. 2007, they didn't have a single pro bowler. They had gone through the, the Jim Moore and then Bobby Petrino fiasco, Michael Vick fiasco. I mean, this organization was about as low as you could get at that point in the job that they've done. Uh, and the encouraging thing for them, we've got to keep an eye on it. And, you know, will they go undefeated through the season? Unlikely. <laughs> but they dominate their division, like you said. They could very well have home field advantage. If they get in the playoffs, they won't go outside again, including the Super Bowl. And that's <laughs> going to be an advantage for them. They're so good at home. Uh, they, particularly in the Dome, and obviously the Super Bowl you played in, the, in, in uh, New Orleans in the Superdome, so they could be inside, which favors them uh, just because of the style of play and they're comfortable with it uh, all the way through a, a, what could be a, a heck of a run. Yeah, and you know what? This, this was crucial for them because they have a bye this week. I mean, it would have been tough for them to lose to the Raiders. I mean, that would have been an upset. That would have sent them reeling a little bit going into the bye week, but they, they did not play their best game, and they still won. Now, all the things that they need to fix, they can fix. They've got a week to do it. I think they'll come back out and be real strong. So I think the bye came at a very good time for them. Yeah, they're a little like the Giants, and that Giants have shown themselves to be vulnerable, and they can get down to, to uh, Cleveland and some other teams. But they tend to, okay, they can turn it back on, put right. that, that pedal to the metal, so to speak. Okay, we didn't start out as well, and that's a sign of a very good team. So uh, yeah, I, even though they should have played better against the Raiders, I give them a lot of credit for, for pulling this off, just like they did against Carolina the week before. Let's go through a couple of the games, just some observations about some teams where they had Green Bay at Houston, next to New York at San Francisco. This had to be the most impressive win going on the road into a 5-0 and Houston team. Uh, Green Bay, to me, it was real clear-cut. They couldn't get any pressure on on, on uh, uh, 
Aaron Rodgers, and he just tore him apart. He really did, and I, I really felt that. Uh, yeah, I, I just sense that Houston did not go in and play, you know, that confidently. I mean, I think I've really thought, you know, them sitting there, they're they're five and zero. I think they're ready to play. They're ready to show everybody they can play. They did not play that way at all. That was really a physical game on the on the uh, Packers' part. Uh, they handed it to them. The Packers needed to get that big time win. And, uh, you know, and they got it. They're sitting there two and three saying we should be four and one at least. And so they got a win. So that gets them three and three. Huge win for the Packers. But it wasn't just a win. It was a good old-fashioned butt kicking. They really kicked Texas. But I thought Texas played a lot of man coverage, and they, they didn't go. Jordy uh, uh, wound up getting Jordy Nelson. What, uh, three touchdowns, when, right. and he was sort of in a slump. He was supposed to be in a slump. All of a sudden, all the team that's supposed to be in a slump, the, the Packers came out and played very good in the team that really couldn't be beat, that had the run game, to go at the pass game, that had Andre Johnson, wide receiver. You know, Aaron Foster, running back, all of a sudden they could not move the ball. Stepping on the big stage for Houston where you know they wanted to look good, they, they created some real questions. They made a lot of bonehead mental errors in terms of penalties. Matt Schaub did not look particularly good. He had two interceptions. Uh, you know, I have some questions about as, as well as Houston has played, and they are legitimate defensively. They've got all the tools offensively. They didn't run the ball, obviously, as well. Arian Foster had a you know, nothing to gain with 29 yards on 17 carries. So they ran for under 100 yards. That balance that we're so used to seeing coming out of Houston uh, just didn't exist against a team in Green Bay who, frankly, people have taken advantage of defensively. Well, I think this is a case maybe Houston of that schedule was really right for them. They had a good schedule. Good opening game schedule. Green Bay played some tough teams. Houston played some easy teams. And I just think that I, for one, got too excited about Houston. That Houston did not look like the Houston I thought they were. And and I think that now we're going to have to see how they play because they now have proven that they're human, that uh, they can play. Yeah, but, you know, can you win the good games? Can you win the big games? Can you go out and play against a team? You know that plays uh, some real physical football. Well, they got I'm a very, not sure they can. They got a very, a very favorable schedule in turn. They got some good teams on that, but they play Buffalo, then Chicago, Jacksonville, then Detroit, Tennessee, then New England, Indianapolis, Minnesota. Indi- so it's like okay, a game that they, they ought to be in pretty good control of. Then they're going to get tested by Chicago. They ought to control the Jacksonville game. Then they're going to get tested by Detroit. Tennessee obviously showed they can win against Pittsburgh. Then they got to play New England. Indianapolis is going to, you know, they're going to be the Indianapolis we thought, even though they had a great win against Green Bay, and they're going to get better and better. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it, they're going to make their way into the playoffs, but I don't know that uh, any of us are going to have quite the same confidence in them that we had before. No. Well, I think, and also, it, it'd be interesting to see how Boston, I mean, now this week we're going to see, you know, if Schaub can stand up against Baltimore. Baltimore comes in, right. they they got some injuries, but they could easy. They're they're going to be home again. Again, sometimes you want to go on the road. I think San Francisco would probably prefer playing on the road after bombing yesterday at home. I think Houston's the same way after bombing, you know, last night. I'm not sure the right time to play Baltimore at home was another home game. Uh, Tennessee beat Pittsburgh. Uh, very surprising Cleveland Brown team beat Cincinnati. In that AFC North, you got Cincinnati and Pittsburgh both chasing a Baltimore, a Baltimore team that now could be hurt. So that could change the equation a little bit. But you got a surprising uh, a two and three Pittsburgh team. 
that's playing a, a now surprise three and three Cincinnati team. What do we think of these two teams? Well, I, I think you mentioned it early in our in our production meeting. Pittsburgh is getting a little bit banged up, a little bit old, yeah. and uh, they just don't quite look like that same type of team that can go out. Cincinnati surprising. I don't know. I don't know what happened because they didn't just get beat. They got handled pretty good by Cleveland. So the question is, can they can they make a comeback and play better and play like they had been playing? Um, yeah, and I, I'm uh, see Cincinnati. That that loss concerned me a little bit. You know, Andy Dalton's playing so well. He's got AJ Green. They're not running the ball very well. That's the biggest concern for me right okay. now. Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis for Cincinnati. That was going to be a big part of the equation. They're playing pretty good defense, but uh, their lack of a running game for Cincinnati has me, you know, really concerned. Dan, let's talk about. We we've alluded to the two teams already: San Francisco and Seattle, both four and two. Um, let's talk about this game because this is, you know, a Thursday night game here on the NFL <laughs> Network. I don't know if they thought this was going to have the impact no, that it was this early. No, no, no. They got lucky. They, the league yeah. got lucky and they fell into it. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, Cincinnati, I mean, uh, Seattle is is playing some games like we can win these games we're not supposed to win, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, now San Francisco, as I mentioned, at home again after being handled pretty good by New York and showing some holes, I think it's going to be a great game simply because uh, all of a sudden Alex Smith is not looking quite as good. And uh, a Pete Carroll defense, a defense that Seattle's playing right now, number one, can sort of make you look bad. So I think it's going to be a great, great Thursday night game. Uh, and, and Russell Wilson, a rookie quarterback, is showing that he can lead. I mean, for a rookie quarterback to go out, hold off a big bonus baby, you know, Mike Flynn uh, as an unrestricted free agent, and then have uh, two wins, uh, four wins. Uh, lead his team to four wins. Uh, you know, have a couple miracle plays. You know, and this was almost as good a miracle play last night on the on the big play to to Rice as it was on the uh, on the Hail Mary throw. This guy has a little magic about him. Yeah, and you're right, and, and that's not very subjective. It's not very calculating, but yeah, players start believing in that magic, sure whether it's do. real or not. The question for me is Seattle, can they go on the road? They do have one road win at Carolina, all but a not a very good Carolina team. They play very, very well at home. They've struggled on the road. The, the road. They've lost to Arizona to start the season on the road. Uh, they lost at St. Louis, which, is, right. again, was an uncharacteristic loss. They were able to beat Carolina on the road. They've been very, very good at home. Can they go to San Francisco on a short week? Here's what would concern me with Russell Wilson. Vic Fangio worked for me in Baltimore, does a brilliant job in San Francisco defensively. Russell Wilson's going to see some things on a short week he's not seen before, and Vic Fangio's very good at that. He did not turn the ball over against New England. Right. That was a key part of it. I have a tough time believing he's not going to get caught and turn, not turn the ball over against San Francisco. Well, I think, yeah, I think San that's, that's going to be tough because, you know, they call that the, the, the crowd the 12th man up there. I mean, they are uh, very supportive, very tough on the opposing team. I'm sure they were tough on Brady as far as the crowd on Brady up there. Uh, but I, you know what? I, I like their chances simply because I think that the, the 49ers, you know, in that 13-3 last year, it was a pretty smooth sailing. Once a team gets bumpy and they they get you know they're getting a little banged up and they're bumpy and all of a sudden you know Alex went X number of games Alex Smith without throwing interception now all of a sudden he has three interceptions yesterday they're getting ready for the bumpy road and when you get in a bumpy road that means that that thirteen to three is not going to happen again so I think Seattle is going to go up there and put on a show yeah and San Francisco has an opportunity here with Seattle at home 
Then they play Arizona. They're, they're on the national spotlight, obviously, because they're going to play a Thursday night game at home against Seattle. They go on the road to a Monday night playing Arizona, all but on the road. They get the bye week. Then they come back and they play St. Louis. Uh, then they're going to get Chicago on again in a Monday night game in the big, you know, in the Big Ten, so to speak. So they've got a chance here that after Seattle to make a pretty decent run, not that Arizona and St. Louis, to get that swagger back because as much as they're going to want to hold on to it and they may dismiss it at home against the New York Giants, the way they got beat up, that your your your, your ego, your swagger takes a bit of a hit when you get it shoved down the throat the way you did and get out physicaled by the New York Giants. Yeah, especially they start out, they run the ball well. I mean, it looked like things were going to go according to plans, and they hit the bump in the road. Yeah, and then Alex Smith the same way. That was a classic game that you needed Alex Smith where the running game wasn't going well, that you look for an Alex Smith on the big stage to step up and, okay, show us show us that because uh, this is what the really good quarterbacks do. You don't want to be just the game manager. Okay, I'm with you on that. Uh, but but it's got to be on that big stage when you do it. And, and uh, he struggled a little bit. He had three interceptions. You know, it just was not a good game. And they did not run the ball well. They just didn't have much of anything going, quite frankly. And and compared to an Eli Manning, who we've seen in similar situations when that running game's not going, all right, Eli say, okay, throw that on my back. I'm going to take this right. thing home. Well, I think so. And I, and so what we look for is is that the defense, number one defense, and this this is most people would think that well, San Francisco. I think that uh, knowing how Pete Carroll coaches, the Seattle's going to go up there and try to prove they got a better defense. We're better statistically. We got to prove that we have a better defense. We got to take the pressure off of our offense. And I think it's going to be a really good rough and tumble ball game. So, what do you think? I'll go to Seattle. Are you? On the upset. I mean, my 49er fans will probably throw me out. No, but. that's all right. Well, we, we don't have to go back into San Francisco right away. So, we, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I got to see Seattle go do it on the road. I got to see them do it before I'm willing to jump on board and say they're going to, they're going to really be uh, a legitimate team. If they can, boy, I'm with you. You'd love to see the success of a Russell Wilson. Yeah. Uh, but I want to see him on the road against a complex scheme like the 49ers are going to run. I want to see how he holds up at that point. So it, uh, at the very least, it's going to be a good game. Make sure to check out NFL.com to see my preview of the Seahawks and the 49ers using NFL Game Rewind, where I break down both teams using all 22 coaches' footage. Well, that's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, I want to hear from you at Coach Billick. You can tweet me and let me know what you want Denny and I to talk about and what interests you. Also, be sure to catch the Coaches Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.